0: You have to have a little bit of patience in this market. You have to have a little bit of good humor and know that the market conditions right now are not going to persist forever. We're going to have a bumpy year, not in terms of the strength of the market, but in terms of the the volatility and the trends. Uh, We have a lot of trends that need to work themselves out over the coming months.
1: you found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and Law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
2: Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Chilly outside when we're recording this today. It's February of 2021. So you might be listening to it shortly thereafter. You might be listening to it many months in the future. But welcome we are trying a new format out. So this is uh, our first time on video. So it's probably going to be a little bit rocky. And Rory, whose idea was this? This was your idea, but now it's great for everybody. They get to see us. I know everybody's been dying for that. Yeah. I, you know, I think what's interesting is that since our last episode, which we'll address, you know, in a future episode, you know, the world has changed an awful lot. And I think we're all used to, having zoom conversations since we've been doing it for the better part of, you know, the past year aggressively. So why not just use this platform to record the real estate law podcast is kind of what we thought. This is as in person
0: as it gets for hopefully not much longer, but that's how it is.
2: (laughs) So, you know, with the real estate law podcast, we talk about real estate, we talk about law, we talk about both at the same time, sometimes, and sometimes we focus on one subject, or the other and today one thing that we wanted to address was you know what we're seeing in the real estate market these days just nationally locally you know any any corner of the market that you that you look there is an inventory scarcity and it's happened for a few reasons as to why inventory is scarce and the consequences are you know pretty significant both for buyers and for sellers And, you know, we think there are going to be some long-term ramifications throughout the year and into next year uh, as a result of what we're seeing right now. You know, Rory, you've been out there at open houses recently. Like, what's what's the deal?
0: I mean, this is the story right now. There's really nothing. Anything else is secondary to the fact that we have such a, a tight inventory market out there that, you know, we have lines down the street for open houses. Every time something goes in the market, if it's a decent home, it gets snatched up quickly. There are a lot of reasons for that. Some sellers are scared to sell right now because they don't want people walking through their homes. And that is actually keeping some inventory on the sidelines. Some sellers are afraid to sell because once they do, they're going to be jumping into the buyer pool just the same. Um, and they're afraid of that. And there's also a little bit of a mismatch between where people are leaving, and where people are going, the fact that the mm-hmm. inner suburbs right now are the hottest market means that there really is a mismatch inventory. There are way more buyers, especially in that geographic ring around Boston yeah. than, there, than there are homes available. So things are getting scooped up quickly. And we're also into the regular seasonal, the seasonality of it. In the wintertime, it's historically in a normal year when we have a smaller pool of inventory. So all that is compounding to, to a pretty extreme case this year.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot to unpack. I mean, like you didn't even mention interest rates right there. But I mean, I think that's one of the first things that I think about is suddenly people have more buying capacity, they can afford more house, but the houses and the condos aren't there. So, you know, people are willing to spend more because they can spend more and it's driving the price up, you know, which then leaves people that are selling their homes potentially in the dark if they have nowhere to go you know ideally they're selling high in an expensive market and moving to a market that's a lot less expensive and their dollars can go really far i mean that's kind of the ideal situation when you're moving but not ev- that that doesn't happen with everybody i mean some people are just upgrading in the same market or moving from the city to the suburbs or vice versa you know there's not so much influx coming into boston these days which is strange. I mean, you know, I've been up here for 20 years. I mean, you've grown up, you grew up around here. I've rarely seen issues in the Boston market where things sit on the market a little bit longer than they have in the past. But that's exactly what's going on now because of the rush out to the suburbs.
0: I mean, and not to be a downer on the topic, but this has to get thrown there as well. There's a large segment of people that are suffering right now. So we talk about the fact that. There are many people out there with increased buying power due to low interest rates. There is a pool of of economic problems out there, and that hasn't been resolved yet. And that is also Mm -hmm. holding back the market a little bit because people don't know how the year is going to go. People aren't really sure exactly how things are going to play out, whether the market's going to be strong or weak, but also where the market's going to be strong and weak. Are we going to return back to normal in the city? Are students coming back to the city? all of those are going to be important for the market overall but also when we start picking winners and losers within the Boston market.
2: Yeah. Now, you know, some of the open houses you've been to recently, I know you've attended a bunch in the suburbs, you know, what are you seeing? Like what should buyers expect when they start attending open houses?
0: It's a rude awakening for a buyer who's kind of just jumping into the the market right now. There are waits, there are competitions for it. Some uh, open houses are causing traffic jams in the suburbs, just because there's so many people lining up at one time. And they're also subject to kind of the buyer's rules and the listing agent's rules and policy. So it's not as pleasant of an experience, certainly when you're going to take a look at a home as it has been in the past. A
2: lot more formal, a lot more rigid, and a lot more crowded. So open houses are the new Dunkin' Donuts, basically, where they're creating traffic jams.
0: Yeah. And When they get crowded like that, you have to start to assume that everybody who's looking at it is a serious buyer. You have less and less tire kickers, just stopping by out of sheer curiosity, just because those people aren't likely to wait in line. So it's, it's intimidating for certainly a first time home buyer
2: or anybody who really needs to move and needs to move quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember last year, there were so many questions about actually having open houses. People weren't having them. Everything went virtual. You know, this is when we were all learning about COVID and how it's transmitted. And, you know, everyone thought it was on every single surface, which it was on a lot of them. But, you know, open houses just pulled back entirely. The market kind of came to a halt. And then things started slowly coming back virtually. And then they started slowly coming back in person as well, you know, as the year went on.
0: You know, in terms of the actual open houses, some of this actually forced a lot of agents to up their game and think about the whole user experience and hopefully it's a trend that will continue long after this real estate agents working in teams real estate agents thinking about the path that people are going to walk through the home you know instead of just throwing up a sign opening up the door and just letting people go take a an unguided look at the home i think people have really upped their their game a little bit at least many listing
2: agents have and that's a good thing yeah appointment setting right i mean people are actually coming at you know set interval times even during the open houses right Yes, that
0: was more prevalent early on there with some of these changes and trends, there hasn't really been a a set of consistency. So some people will walk right right in and think that they have an appointment at a certain time because the listing agent said so, or or the the buyer's agent said so, and just asked for it. That's not really how it's, it's working. They're they're largely first come first serve at this point, Yeah, but we're also fortunate here in Massachusetts, when you look outside into other parts of the country people are still not having open houses at all, you know, Mm -hmm. still with inventory problems. But people are being forced to buy houses off of virtual tours, which are
2: great, but they're no substitute to actually seeing the home. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what people should do to be prepared as they're about to enter, you know, this crazy market. You know, whether you're listening to this next week or listening to it later on in the spring, you know, we certainly expect the market to be Exactly where what we're seeing right now, you know, because interest rates really aren't going anywhere anytime soon, and unless there's just a massive increase in inventory, which also doesn't seem to be what's forthcoming in the in the next few months. It's, if you're a buyer, what, what get yourself ready? Like let's set some expectations.
0: Well, I mean, the first thing that a buyer has to to do, and it's been the case, but it's even more important now, is to be prepared before you walk in to start into doing showings. You need to have mm-hmm. your pre-approval before you start wasting your time, looking at particular homes, see what you're going to afford, afford, get it in writing. Get all your documents in order because that home that you like this weekend is not going to wait around until Wednesday for you to contact a lender and get a new pre-approval. You need to have that in advance. That's always been the case, but it's especially true now because you don't stand a chance as a buyer if you don't have a pre-approval and you need to you don't want to waste your time or even your agent's time going out looking at homes that you're never going to get if you don't have that pre-approval in hand.
2: You were saying that, you know, you need to have a pre-approval letter. Absolutely. Don't waste people's time if that's if that's the case. And I couldn't agree more because after an open house, I mean, people are saying offers are due a certain time and they're receiving many, many offers. Like, so any offer that comes in without a pre-approval is just not going to be considered, you know, because there will be others. Yeah.
0: And, you know, maybe that's kind of counterintuitive to kind of the second point that I have is just accept that that first time you put in an offer, it's going to be a learning experience and a bonding experience between you and your agent Mm -hmm. to go through the motions, to learn what's involved and to see what the process is like and get to, you know, as much as we can say the market stuff, as much as we can tell people in advance that it's really competitive out there until you have that first strong offer get rejected. You haven't felt it. So I've, when I'm working with my buyers, I coach them. um, and we accept the fact that More often than not, that first offer is going to be a learning experience for the both both of us. But it's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of energy and effort. That means that the next one that comes along, you're going to be in a much better place to act quickly and to jump on the house and get it.
2: Yeah, it's similar to looking for a job. I mean, if you're out there looking, oftentimes the first interview, second interview that you do, those probably shouldn't be at the places you really want to work because you're working on refining your interview style and answering questions um, in that type of environment. And you need a little practice. I mean, most people do unless you nail it the first time, you know, and sometimes you fall in love with the first job or first place that you go look at, but you're right. The expectation should be, you know, head out there, go to a couple open houses, just to understand what they are, even if you're not really super interested in that specific property just to start getting back into that mindset. When you do find the right one, you're submitting the right offer.
0: Right, I mean, don't submit offers in homes that
2: you're not interested in because you very
0: well may get them. I guess the same thing's true for jobs, but the, it just accept that the first one is likely going to be really just a practice run for the, the right. ultimately successful one.
2: When homes hit the market, everyone's getting email updates these days, the second they're listed, at least in MLS. Now, that's probably going to drive a ton of people over to those homes immediately, right when they're listed. What about properties that have been sitting for a little bit? Because there are some that don't go immediately. Like, are they all flawed or should those be properties that people can look at right now?
0: Well, maybe. So the general rule, even in normal years, is that... A listing gets the most attention the first 14 days that it's available. After that, the traffic slows down. That's why from the seller's point of view, it's very important to make sure that that listing is perfect when it first comes out. You have the perfect photos, you have the correct listing price, everything's good and ready to go because if you can correct it later on, great, but less people are going to see it less people are going to notice it. For the buyers, from the buyer's point of view, that means you want to take a look at those properties that have been sitting in the market for a while. It's going to take a little bit more investigation, but if you run just after the new shiny object, the one that was just listed yesterday, that's when you're gonna be waiting in line for an open house and competing against a dozen other offers. You want to really strongly consider the ones that have been sitting on the market for a while. And there's the additional step with those to ask that question and to figure out why it's been on the market for so long. But you may get that answer and it may be something that's okay for you. A property might be on the market too long because the listing agent just did a poor job marketing it. It might have terrible photos that don't do the home justice. It may have been originally listed you know, overpriced when it was first listed. That's going to scare away a lot of buyers and deflect the attention during the valuable first two weeks that it's on the market. The property might be good for a really specific kind of buyer. So it's not getting the, the mass attention or the, that it other homes might be getting, but you might be that perfect buyer for that that quirkier home you know the house might have problems, but maybe they're problems that you 're comfortable taking on. Maybe the sellers are just personally difficult perhaps it 's an estate sale that can 't close for three months, perhaps the sellers are just really ridiculous to work with but if you 're willing to be patient and plow through that bad personal experience, you may have found a home in a really competitive market that you can close on. So take a look at the ones that have been sitting and ask why they've been sitting for so long, but perhaps it's not a deal killer for you where it might be a deal Mm -hmm. killer for many others.
2: Now, conversely, what about the ones that, that go under agreement immediately? Like just let them go or is there anything else that can be done with those properties?
0: No. So I, there's, you always want to be try, taking a strategy where you're trying multiple different things at once. If something came on the market and went under agreement immediately, as a lot of places are doing, that's not the end of the story. People... Don't do it very much in this market, and it surprises me, but you can submit a backup offer for a home that's recently gone under agreement. Trust me, the seller is going to love the fact that they have a backup plan. The listing agent is going to be thrilled to have backup plan because it's also going to give them leverage if they're doing home inspections or anything like that. But deals mm-hmm. fall through all the time for a whole, a whole host of reasons. And if you're putting in an offer, a backup offer in a property that's under agreement, who knows when something will fall out? And it doesn't cost you anything or really harm you. You can put the backup offer in while you're still looking for something else. And then if you found another home that you're going to put an offer in instead, you can rescind that backup offer, direct your attention elsewhere. But if you're taking a couple of weeks off to, to go away or just to take a break from looking for homes, why not have the backup offer
2: at least giving you a chance that something's going to be accepted in the interim? I remember the very first condo that I bought, I paid full price for it back in 2003 and after the inspection which i think was fine but we were looking at the condo docks and the place was listed as 1100 plus or minus square feet and the condo docks said 1020 and you know in the city 80 square feet a lot i mean it's almost a whole bedroom and i'm thinking i'm thinking that 1020 is plus or minus 1000 it's not quite plus or minus 1100 i mean frankly you could have said it was seven hundred square feet and say it's plus or minus plus minus eleven hundred. It's certainly minus. But I went back and tried to renegotiate, and you know, it got thrown right back in my face, saying like, "Well, we have another backup full price offer. Do you want it or not?" All right, you know what? I tried. It didn't work out. But that's how that was used as leverage. I could also think of situations now where you know I'm not not selling a property, but as I mentioned in previous episodes, you know, we have some vacation rentals that we rent ourselves and you know, oftentimes I'll get these, these bookings, you know, many, many months in advance. And I kind of treat them with a grain of salt. They're great because the calendar fills up, people see, you know, the demand and it forces them to kind of book. But I kind of don't fully think that every one of them is going to come true because I have flexible cancellation because I think that's a good business practice. So I haven't been burned just yet, but I've definitely had situations where, you know, a longer block of time, maybe a month was booked. And then it got canceled and I don't freak out because then I just go relist it for more. And I, I tend to 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 fill it up. Like having backups is a great idea. One time I actually had a backup. Like I told somebody, like if something were to open up, I'll let you know. It opened up and sure enough, you know, I got it rented immediately. So, you know, backup plans happen all the time. And the fact that people don't submit backup offers is is actually, they don't submit them as much as you would think is is very interesting because- you know what is there to lose right well, legally what is there to lose if you submit a backup offer
0: there's nothing you just want to be certain that if you were to put an offer in on another home that you rescind the other one just to avoid mm-hmm. the situation where you have two offers that are both accepted because you will lose the deposit that way
2: yeah have you seen those situations or you've been able to definitely avoid them
0: it's it's they're so easy to avoid that we've never actually encounter that. It's just right. a theoretical problem, I suppose. There's no rocket science to rescinding an offer. It's just, just sending a message to the other side. Right.
2: Okay. We're talking to Rory Gill, attorney, broker, owner of Next Home Title Town Real Estate in Boston and Urban Village Legal, also here in Boston. We're talking today about you know just the craziness that's happening out there with the real estate market and and how there's very little inventory and you know, people are getting as creative as possible to, you know, to look for the properties that, you know, they're eventually going to put offers in on and hopefully get accepted. What are a couple other things that might be a little bit outside the box that people aren't considering in a market like this?
0: Yeah, so what we've covered so far, are the more obvious options that buyers have, especially since the story of the real estate market right now is just the tight inventory but it's also to start looking elsewhere. So this requires maybe a little bit uh, more work with between you and your agent, but you want to be take a look at places that aren't necessarily on the market and available. So I start looking at properties that are where the listing has expired, the listing was canceled, because those are homes that you know the seller has an interest in selling, but there's a story there as to why it didn't happen. So instead of just... Ignoring those properties, why not dig into what happened there? Try to mm-hmm. make contact with the seller, get the story. and again, perhaps it's, there's a problem that makes it difficult to market to the general public, but it may not be a problem for you. So it's a little bit of extra work. There's a lot of you know a lot more legwork to, to make these deals happen. but in a, when there's tight inventory, why not look around to the properties that are off market or recently off market? they might be good mm-hmm. properties. Another thing that you can do to work with your agent on is take a look at properties that are listed for rent and see if you can put in an offer to purchase those properties. It doesn't, It's more work. You may receive a negative answer a, bunch, a lot of the time, but anything's for sale if there's an offer put before them. For a property that's available for rent, you can assume that there is a price or there is a reason why they'd be interested in selling. So take a look at those properties to drop an offer on them even
2: though they're not technically for sale or on the market. You know, here, here's why that's a great idea. Uh, you know, we're seeing some vacancy rates that are higher than expected here in the city. There has been a eviction moratorium, right, for quite some time. Yep. And and there's also a lot of forbearance, a lot of mortgages might have entered forbearance, right? Is that the word?
0: Mortgage afraid- yeah. Yeah, I'm just so the pretender yeah. here. S- some, yeah. some mortgages have entered forbearance and there's a whole, n- another hour we could spend together talking about how that might work itself in the market. But you're you're right to point out the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty in the rental market right now, an incredible amount of uncertainty. Are schools mm-hmm. coming back? Are schools coming back in full force? Is the trend where the suburbs going to be a persistent trend or is that a, a one-year fluke? Those are things that are not yet resolved and known. And landlords are definitely concerned about that situation. So an, an offer to purchase provides them some certainty in a, in, a, in a really difficult market. Many of those landlords may want to hold them, they may see strength in the market, or it may just be for their goals that they want to keep the rental. But it's a good place to look for some extra homes that are available for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So any final thoughts? Like what should people be doing as they're, as they're about to go through the painstaking process of trying to find a new place to live in this spring market.
0: Again, put yourself in the seller's shoes. This is advice that, that, that transcends market conditions. But in this market, think about what the sellers are looking for and be flexible and cater to those sellers. In the end, you can't offer more than you can afford. Don't do that. That's a bad strategy that will make your house poor. And it's something that leads to instant regret. Don't offer what you can't afford. And I mean that with terms too. Don't cut back on home inspections if you can't shoulder the risk of there, there being bad conditions in the home. If you need to move now, don't offer delayed closing if that is something you really can't do. So offer only what you can. In the end, you're going to have to have some patience and a sense of humor as we go through this. You know, I have clients right now that are putting in very, very, very strong offers. And we've had a few weeks of heartbreak where they, the, the houses keep slipping away. But you have to have a little bit of patience in this market. You have to have a little bit of good humor and know that this, the market conditions right now are not going to pers- persist forever. We're going to yeah. have a bumpy year, not in terms of the strength of the market, but in terms of the, different, the, the volatility and the trends. Uh, we have a lot of trends that need to work themselves out over the coming months.
2: And and you want to have a good lawyer also because you don't want to do anything that you're going to be bound to and you're in over your head or you can't get out of. I mean, that's one thing that I think you've always been good at is writing up offers and purchase and sales and all that stuff. But there's always there's always an out like I have always felt like there was an out just in case you need it. And I think that right now people would be tempted to just do anything possible to get the home. But sometimes you know, there are limits because uh, you, you, know, you don't want to lose a lot of money.
0: A lot of that work comes before the offer goes in. It's tempting to put in a strong offer, offer more than you can afford, both in terms of price and terms ahead of time, and then deal with the fallout afterward. The best thing you do is just get prepared ahead of time. Get, I mean, get starting with that pre approval, but also understanding what, what it is that you can offer, what it is that you can do. And you're not going to do that on the same day that you go to an open house. There are, many, there are many people who are working for you along the way, attorneys, real estate agents, lenders, uh, home, home inspectors, and they're not all going to be available on Sunday at 2 o'clock, Sunday at 4 o'clock deadline. Mm-hmm. All of those things are things that need to be work, worked out in advance. And the more you do that in advance, the stronger the offer you're going to be able to place and the better protected
2: you're going to be. Right. So the moral of the story that we're seeing right now is that Patience is a virtue, right? Patience and good humor are virtues. Good, good humor. All right. Well, on that, I'm going to get some ice cream before lunch <laughs> because I feel like I need a little good humor. Just to um, show today's sponsor. Yeah, we're not sponsored by them, but you know, <laughs> hey, if they want to throw some money. Like they can do that. Rory,
0: where can we find you? I am at Next Home Title Town, Next Home Title Town and
2: Urban Village Legal, UrbanVillageLegal dot Perfect. All right. Great. Well, thanks again for sharing your thoughts on what's going on with this crazy real estate market that we're experiencing right now. Thank you all for listening to the Real Estate Law Podcast. My name is Jason Muth. This is Rory Gill, attorney broker of Next Home Titletown Real Estate and Urban Village Legal in Boston. And we will look forward to speaking with you on another episode. Thank you. Great. Thank you.
1: This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Titletown, greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.